Good morning, listeners. It's a very early 5am interview with um, an amazing author, Avril Kenny. Um, thank you so much for listening to PageCast. We aim to bring you the story behind the story. Avril is a new author. She has written two books, um, very short after one another, which is quite amazing. Her books cover very strong female characters, but it is enchanting. You can't put it down. And please listen now while she tells you the story behind the girls of Lake Evelyn. Avril, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's not 5am here. It's in the middle of the day, but um, it's my absolute pleasure. So thank you very much. Avril, so tell me if... if you had to walk into an elevator and pitch the girls of Lake Evelyn to someone. How would you do that? Oh, so the girls of Lake Evelyn is about a runaway society bride. She's an it girl from Sydney. Um, she's fled to the, the wilds of far North Queensland and she's sheltering in a Gothic deserted house on the edge of a mysterious lake. Um, and there she encounters the plucky Josie Monash, who is a local theatre director. And together the girls are going to uncover a secret hidden deep in the lake. Um, they'll also um, both come of age and find love and um, set out into the world um, themselves. So it's a story of, of young women, friendship, um, love, and most of all the enchanted tropics of final Queensland, which is where I live. Also, I must tell you that the enchanted element of it really comes through when I was busy reading this book it was true escapism when I picked it up it's like everything else just disappeared and I I felt as if I'm part of this magical world I must ask you now while reading uh, all like Vivian who's the the runaway bride and then Josie as well and even Beryl's whole character when you read their pages it's kind of impossible not to realize that you you wrote very strong female characters. While reading up on your previous book, that's apparently something that was also very evident, is that your female characters are super strong. Is there any reason that this is happening or has it just always been your mindset? I would say that all my female characters embody something of myself and the women that I know and my daughters. I now have one tween and one teenage daughter, so <laughs> very strong females. Um, you know, I have a, I come from a long line of strong women. There was my mom and my grandmother and, you know, both my books are set in the mid-century, which um, tends to, you know, you have those traditional um, restraints on females. But I wanted to embody something of my grandmothers um, who were both strong women. And, you know, we might think back to that era and think, oh, it was a traditional era and maybe women were weak, but that's far from the case. Um, and that's something I wanted to bring forward in into my stories. Um, and I just love books about strong women. I really love it when you pick up a book and you, you know, the, it, you both relate to her experience, but you also feel like, you know, you, you're really going for her to achieve something. And, you know, she embodies something of your life too. And that's what I wanted to create in my fiction. I must say it, it is quite refreshing not reading about how, how the women are suffering under either patriarchy or, or whatever society was like in that. And even what we're struggling with today still, it's quite refreshing. That's, I think that's why it, it adds to the escapism for me, um, that it's actually like these women were having fun. They were actually like going freely and swimming in the lake independently, um, create, being a director uh, of, of the local plays. It, it's really, um, yeah, it was really so amazing to, to feel their strength through the pages. I can really just claim that. 
And then I was also wondering, you said that your your mother and your grandmother, they were also strong and your, your daughters as well. Which elements of your real life did you kind of bow to in the Girls of Lake Evelyn? So the Girls of Lake Evelyn was born um, as, a, as a dream, I suppose, when I was a little girl. Um, so my dad was a dairy farmer and I grew up as a farm girl. So Josie Monash is, you know, she's my childhood. She's that stomping around on the cow pats on the farm um, with my beloved father and, you know, the dairy farm being the rhythm of the day. So that's my childhood. But my dad then in later years um, became a coach driver. And so he would take day tours around far north Queensland and I would be sitting up the back of the bus. Um, his, the coach driver's daughter up the back of the bus listening to dad giving commentary and just, you know, he was the best storyteller. And I would be sitting there listening to his commentary about the region and just seeing it through the delight and the wonder that we saw in tourists. And um, one of the tours was the Appleton Tablelands. So we were going up the... Um, the um, Gillies Highway, which is the range road in my novel, um, and he would be toiling up this road in this great big belching bus and he would be feeling so sick because there is so many corners on this road. And um, Dad would be telling the story of um, when it was a single lane highway and there was gatekeepers at the top and the bottom and um, it just captured me. And so I used to, you know, I'd have my face pressed against the window hearing Dad's stories but incorporating that history into my own imaginings. And I really loved the idea of, you know, running up this road, you know, trying to get away from something, um, trying to escape something. So that's where the Girls of Lake Evelyn begins with a uh, white jaguar, you know, it's coming up the a roadster, sorry, coming up the, um, the, the range road and around all these corners and it's just this woman escaping something and there's the gatehouse at the top and the bottom and that's, the, that's where the story opens and that was a really vivid feeling for me as a young girl and mm -hmm. so I, that's where I opened my story and of course then she comes to the Atherton Tablelands which is a world away from the, that life she knows in mm -hmm. Sydney um, but it's a world that I know very well growing up, you know, on a farm and in the tropics as well. So, and I really love being able to see through the eyes of a newcomer as well to the tropics because mm -hmm. that was something I experienced. As an eight-year-old girl, we moved from the south coast of New South Wales, which was such a different area, to the tropics. So, and that's why I always describe the area here as enchanted because for me it was. You know, I came from this place that was, you know, a dairy farm on rolling hills overlooking the sea to this place of crocodiles and waterfalls and, to me, fairies in the forest mm -hmm. and, you know, it planted plants that could harm you and, you know, seriously injure you. And, yeah, I, that's what I try to um, capture in this story as well. Uh, the Atherton Tablelands is one of my favourite places in the tropics. So, And the lake that I've based Lake Evelyn on is um, Lake Eacham on the Tablelands. And it is such an otherworldly, beautiful place, but very eerie to me. Mm. It's so deep and it always – I would stand on the edge of it and almost not want to dip my toe in because I knew how deep it was. So, you know, I have my female character swimming that every morning, you know. She's strong in a way that I absolutely loved um, – and yeah, so the story is everything I love about this area, but also it really has a special place in my heart because it's linked to my grandparents in very special ways. Um, each of my characters has a little bit of a link to my own grandparents raising their families in the 40s and 50s and 60s. Oh, that's lovely. That's absolutely amazing. And I must tell you something that I should flag is that every morning when one of your characters, Vivian, goes for her swim in the lake, I'm like, woman, aren't you scared? Because I always think like there can be anything below you. And it was also described that she could touch the, the, the bottom of the lake. 
And then all of a sudden she couldn't anymore. And I was just like, yo, move back, move back. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then something that's really cool, which I probably think is, is part of the Tablelands um, and something I've never heard of. And listeners, perhaps you've heard of it before. But could you please d- describe to those listening what a bunyip is? Oh, okay. So a bunyip is actually a mythical creature. Um, we, you know, it's a creature that um, comes out of the... So my, my son has a story about a bunyip, and it's this creature that comes out of the creek, um, it comes rises up out of the mud, and it's um, quite ugly and fearsome-looking. But in this child's story, he the bunyip just wants to know what it is and who I who am I, who am I, um, or what am I. And it's, a, it's something that children grow up with in Australia, um, and it's a story you sort of outgrow, you know, um, a fearsome creature, but then something that becomes quaint as you grow up so I wanted to bring that in because it's so Australian um, a little bit different we also have yaois in Australia which is more like I guess your big foot so a bunyip is up a little bit different to a yowie um, but it's that mythical frightening creature to the uninitiated who might stumble upon it in the ra- in, in the rainforest um, so yeah I, I brought that in as, as a little nod to growing up we always you know we believed in bunyips and yaois. Actually, a lot of people still do believe in bunyips and yaois. So people have yaoi sightings on the tableland. So okay, that's really so interesting because I was reading and I and I would usually read with my with Google open for if like I read something and I don't. What is this? And I saw bunyip. I'm like, it sounds like a turnip. Can I eat it? And then I quickly googled it. Um, but that's so so interesting, and I I can actually draw something from it that it's like this this creature that that no one actually you you don't engage with it but you but it's always there especially for mm-hmm. Vivian um and it's it's quite a lot like her shame that she's carrying with her like she's she doesn't want to engage with it but it's always there it's it's kind of haunting her and Josie I just absolutely love her I I just love her like reading how she she puts on her gumboots and she just goes straight to town and she's irritated with Daphne and she's just this unstoppable life force. Um, how was mm-hmm. it creating a character like that? And is she still with you um, while, while you, even though the book is finished, um, is she still, are you carrying her character with you? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So Josie was a character who was secondary to Vivian. And um, when I started writing her first chapter, her introductory chapter, she just blazed onto the page she was this character who you know she she stomps onto just like you would as you you know the star coming onto the stage and I loved that about her she gave me such joy every time I would write a Josie chapter I would feel such joy and I always say that with all my female characters when I'm writing their chapters I'm I they they actually become part of my day and so I will walk around when in my previous book when I would write Sonnet the eldest sister she was so determined and forthright and bossy and I but she would make me stronger and so I would be going about my daily life feeling stronger and whenever I was writing Josie's chapters I was just joyful and um, bolder and happier and you know she gave me so much pleasure but as I said all of my characters um they embody something of me. Mm-hmm. And so Josie is the part of me that can stand up on a stage and, and perform and, you know, just shine and be big. And But at the same time, I'm an introvert and I just love hanging around the house all day. So Josie is that part of me that I don't know where she comes from. You know, I can – I always did so well at theatre at school because that 
there was that Josie in me who just loved to perform. So there's that side of her where I feel like she will always be a part of me because she came from me. But in terms of a character, I had no control over that character, <laughs> you know, and there's always one in every book I, I find that they just, they're, they're, I can't control them. And I really enjoy that going along for the ride and following what they do and going, Oh no. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, I, I, writing her I really do miss writing her and writing a new book now I, I sometimes wish I could just have her come and visit because I, I love how she would light up a room and she felt like the big sister that I always wanted because I was the oldest sister so yeah oh, and and it's actually so amazing because she she sparks joy when you read her chapters she's so unashamedly herself which is just so yeah. amazing um her mm. Her relationship with her her grandmother is is also noteworthy, um, and I was just wondering whether there is any link to something you experienced uh, with your grandparents or not necessarily, um, because also then again, Beryl, her grandmother is is she's so multifaceted. Like when you meet her, you think she's she's just the stern old woman, but she's so funny. She's she backs Josie in everything she does. I, I think I should probably rephrase the question and, and rather ask, is there someone in your life that you have that relationship with? She's shades of my mum and one of my grandmothers. Um, she's also um, shades of how I sometimes relate to my own daughters, but she's just, she reminds me of so many strong women I knew of that generation as I was growing up. And that, you know, that first scene with Josie where she comments on the stockings and no petticoat, that was my grandmother through and through. You know, she was so old-fashioned and traditional. And we're, we live in the tropics where it's seething hot, but, you know, you should always wear stockings and a petticoat. So, you know, growing up in the 80s, but with a grandmother I was so close to who was, you know, raised her own children in the 50s, there was that real culture class clash growing up, which um, I tried to bring in a little bit. Obviously, it's different in the story, but, you know, my grandmother was also wickedly funny and she would say things sometimes that were quite outrageous and shocking because she grew up in a small town out in country New South Wales where you know, it's not refined. It's not a, a refined kind of way to, um, to be, but at the same time, she was also very traditional and conservative. So there's, there's those shades of, um, you know, the incongruity that was my grandmother, I guess. And, um, yeah, she, she reminds me so much of women that I knew and the shades of my mom and, and, just relationships that I've had there. Yeah, and and speaking about like um, getting shades from people in your life, um, I also I found that all the male characters that you wrote, they also made this. They were this buffer for Josie. Most of the men in this novel, I can really, they have kindness at the core of themselves, and and especially yeah. even Gabe as the father, um, and and. Yeah, the, her brothers and and Felix, the Vivian's uh, uncle. Everyone and has so much kindness actually, and I think yet again this is why this book is so great for just escaping real life. And this book is just it's just so wholesome. I think that's the best way to describe this book. Reading is obviously something that makes a, a an appearance in this book, and how important reading is. I'm actually going to quickly read something from the book. Um, her, so so Vivian's mother said reading is is a lazy and unfashionable habit for a woman. However, we get the sense that uh, the fact that the town's library is also where where Josie goes to to find the first information about about the 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 
star that that yeah i'm not going to give anything away but she goes to the library to get some information and also the fact that you mentioned that vivian's mom just actually denounced reading what is what is important for you about reading and why do you think people should should embrace reading and encourage reading in young people and in old people Mm. So reading is is my life. I just, you know, it's my number one favorite thing to do aside from um, writing itself. And it's something that I didn't have a television growing up. So I reading was how I explored the world. And it's just, it's something that it was one of the first things when I had my own children that I wanted to um, try and instill in them was a love of reading. But I feel that it just was like osmosis. They just, you know, sucked it up from being in my house. But um Certainly in both my stories, I just wanted to – so far I found it hard to write a book without sharing my love of reading with my characters. Um, and I, maybe that's just my own experience. I, You know, I, I really felt for Vivian because, um, you know, that, that constraint where she wasn't allowed to read or she was discouraged from reading, I, you know, that's my worst nightmare. So when I imagine a life in which I'm wanting to escape from it, it's a world in which it's about how I look and – and the esteem I'm held in rather than um, being able to just sit curl up in, in a chair with a book. So um, I really, you know, I wanted to do that. With um, Josie, she actually is the um, first member of a community library and they actually begin this community library in an old air raid shelter on the main street of this small town. And um, I actually drew that from my husband's um, family and from my aunt, his um, auntie rather, when she was sharing um, stories about his grandmother. And she was the first member of a new library and she was so proud of her library card. She was member 001. And um, so I, you know, I, that's a direct nod to that. And I, I love that my husband was raised in a family as well where books were so important and, you know, his, his mum and dad are so proud of me and, you know, ran out and brought my books and all his family have. So, you know, I want to also share that. It's I, I feel that when the story comes from your heart that it, it can touch the reader. And so for me it's – I love – reading so much that I want that to be something that both gives my characters power, gives them freedom, um, it helps them to understand themselves and their own lives and that also happens in my first book. Um, one of my characters, um, her mother's favourite book was Persuasion by Jane Austen and that's something that helps her to understand her own life and um, through her mother's love for that book she even begins to understand some of her mother's secrets. So for me it's a book is something that's not just something you read, it, it, you know, we all know when you have a favourite book, it, it will shape the course of your life and it's something you will, it'll be a touchstone, you'll come back to that throughout your life and um, you'll change but that story stays the same and yet it's something that, you know, it's like a, a parent, a loving parent throughout your life, that connection to something, you know. So, you know, I in my characters I want them to be able to have that as well um, and, yeah, <laughs> I can't rave enough about my, my youngest child actually has had a little bit of difficulty starting to read. He was one of those pandemic um, children who came through first year of school and he's just struggled to sort of set off. It breaks my heart for him Aww. because he loves books so much, but he does struggle a bit. So, you know, it's that's my driving thing at the moment is to help him with his reading. But um, just talking about the books that kind of stick with you, things change, but there might be this one book that, that set the course for the rest of your life. Well, so I have different ones at different that I've discovered at different stages of my life. So I was um, I decided to be a writer when I was five, sitting in the back seat of my parents' car reading um, the Magic Faraway Tree, and I finished that and went, well, 
I'm going to be a writer now. That's it. I'm that I have to be an author. And that was my life's dream already there. I knew that's what I had to do. So, you know, that in, you know, I growing up on a farm where you would go out and explore all day, really those books meant so much to me because that felt so relatable to me and they were living my dream childhood even while it also felt like something so personal uh, as I grew up then I remember my grandmother gave me um, Anne of Green Gables the hardcover edition that she'd read to my dad years earlier decades earlier and she actually entrusted that to me and so I got to read the copy my dad read um, and that you know that's probably the story actually the whole series I then you know said about reading the whole series and I come back to that again and again you know I've read that when I was sick with COVID when I was pregnant when I was heartbroken I would always come back to that um and then obviously um my favorite Jane Austen is Persuasion which is why I included it in one of my my books um that's my favorite I'll always come back to that um so those are the ones that are you know if I had to go to a desert island um I wouldn't take one book I'd have a trunk <laughs> um yes. They're, they're the ones. They're, they're my um, – and then I do like a lot of Georgette Hare books um, from more recent years. Um, but, yeah. So um, I, I can't not touch on this. Um, you you – uh, what do you call it? You nonchalantly mentioned that you are busy with your third book. Can you tell us anything more um, than that? Well, um, my third – I'm actually um, – my, I'm about a quarter of the way through the first draft, so it's um, still a little way off, but um, it, it will once again be in the tropics. I don't want to say where it's set because the setting is once again really special. Um, once again, strong female characters, um, moving a little bit into the 60s um, with this one, and um, it, historical fiction again. So um, I'm at the stage, it's really strange, when um, I set off on a new book where I feel like I will never be able to repeat it again. And, you know, I, I feel like, oh, I can't do it. I've lost all my magic and I've forgotten how to write a book. And, um, yeah, so at that stage where it's too tender to talk about yeah. because you feel like, well, probably not going to pull it off, so I might as, not, <laughs> I might as well not tell it <laughs> okay no I get that it's also like when I have an idea and I'm so excited about this idea but it's I'm so vulnerable to share it because maybe yeah, yeah totally I get that the genre historical fiction did you find that your journalism background maybe assisted in writing historical fiction mm, um, that's a really good question I think my journalism background helps with all my writing because it teaches you where to go for your source of information and what kind of sources to trust and what, you know, how that even the idea of having a lead, of having a punchy start that draw people in and, you know, just that brevity and, and not wasting words and so forth. But um, that is not my writing style. I have a writing style that, that is quite wordy um, and quite descriptive, which is just the way I write. And it does, I've been told by my publisher that it suits um, the era that I'm writing in. Mm. Um, and I, um, so there's that to start with, that it, su it suits the era, but the, the journalism taught me style um, and that obviously there's a lot of skills that I learned from it. But um, the, the historical research side of it, I find the best is just talking to people. So talking, I'm very lucky that I still have all my husband's family. I have memoirs, my grand, grandmother, grandfather, my husband's grand uh, auntie, they've all written their little memoirs. And so those to me feel like, you know, original texts because they're their own memories and they'll tell the little stories that you don't get from a history, history book. Um, so I guess that's, again, from journalism, just t talking to people. Um, I love historical fiction because there are all those little constraints on the characters that come from the era. And so, you know, there's so many 
you know, I know a lot of people don't like misunderstandings in fiction, but there just are those things, misunderstandings and the inability to communicate because of distance, for example, and you can't just text someone and say, hey, you coming over now? Just found out the mystery, you've solved it. You know? <laughs> um, I, I like the inherent, um, the time um, between a conversation taking place and that you will bump into someone in the bottom of a grove in a forest to talk to them because that's where you ran into them. You know, I love that from the era. Um, that's really special. I do find it quite challenging to write historical fiction because it is constantly, you know, you'll be in the flow of writing and then you'll think, wait, did they have that back then or did they say mm -hmm. that? And I do find it a little bit difficult not to then go down the rabbit hole and get caught up with Googling whether they actually used a phrase um, yes. back in the 50s. So I do try to keep writing, maybe just highlight it, come back to it. Um, but it is also really special to keep yourself in that mindset of the era. There were certain things where in my uh, in the Girls of Lake Evelyn, I had to make sure it fit into a certain time period. And so I would be constantly going back. I'd have it all plotted out and I'd go back to make sure that it fit in there. I was so thrilled all the time when I'd find out, oh, well, actually, that took place in this year. So, yep, that works. I can do that. And the story opens in 1958 because uh, the road, the range road that the story opens with um, was widened in the years after that. So, you know, there's, there's things like that that I don't want to change a year. Mm. That was the year it happened. It's a challenge to fit my story into that and squeeze it into it. It kind of gives you more obstacles to jump through to write this book, but then also the absolute great feeling of having accomplished it. So it's it's like when when it just aligns, like you said, with the with the with the range road that was widened a year or after that. Well, then this is now the the year it starts in. Like it's not it's non negotiable, and I think it also it makes it a a greater adventure, the writing adventure. Talking about writing, what would you say is your biggest impediment or hindrance when it comes to to actually writing? There's so many things that are difficult. Um, it was earlier in, so my first novel took me about 10 years to actually write and that was while having lots of children. So I would have to fit that in around them and that was very difficult. Um, but in, in, I actually find it more difficult now that they have so many extracurricular activities and the school itself, the school day itself now informs the way that I have to um, fit my writing in. But probably the, the genuine biggest impediment to my writing is just um, the self-doubt and perfectionism that comes in. So the sitting down to write and going back and, and um, polishing up a paragraph and then getting myself all up in knots thinking all these things of self-doubt rather than just pushing forward. So I have to, when I'm, when I, once I have forward momentum, that's great because then I'm just so caught up in the story I can keep going and I'm getting to that point now in my current manuscript where it's, it's rolling. But before that, there's, there's a lot of second guessing and going back and thinking and re-googling things and thinking, mm, no, I'm going to go down that path and then going out and starting to research different. And I think, no, no, you know, stop. So it's that perfectionism of wanting to feel that I've made the right choice and that I'm, that it's working. And um, yeah, so I find that the biggest thing. Uh, you mention Oscar Wilde um, in, in the book, and it's actually quite a, a very important line, I would say, um, in, in the life of the I'm I'm not going to go into it but but in in one in the life of one of your characters um why that line and would you please share with the listeners exactly what the line is cece sad bird thou dost the forest wrong to vex its sylvan quiet with such wild impassioned song i do um 
sometimes is just sit around and read poetry. <laughs> I've ever since I was young, I've just loved to sit and read poetry, and um, I, you know, I and to quote things, and I I've made my children memorize poems, and I'll put poems on the back of the toilet door and so forth to try and make them memorize. And just I, you know, I love poetry, and it's it's actually quite good. I feel if you're stuck and you're writing, to sit there and to read poetry and let that beauty kind of well up inside you. Um, just the, the beauty of these geniuses but I loved that line and in the story um Vivian is staying in Silver Mist is the um gothic lodge that mm. she's staying in so that particular quote obviously you know references that and I I have a um a reoccur like I have a bird um that comes into this um story shortly after this um, and it's a beautiful bird of paradise. So there's that link between the line of the poem and then there's this bird of paradise that um, is uh, Vivian and um, her love interest are watching the bird and it actually is a, a crucial part of this interaction that takes place between them. So there's that little link towards the scene that's coming there with that. But I love the idea of this um, trapped bird in a lodge. You know, you think of like a helpless thing and I have an earlier... Um, metaphor I suppose of um this bird trapped in a web and it's trapped in this giant golden orb web and you can see the spider advancing on it and so that's something that's in there to um you know it's foreshadowing and mm. it's also a metaphor this character of mine Vivian and this you know this bird trapped in a lodge and that actually came from a, a genuine web outside my house with a beautiful bird stuck in it and a spider advancing on it so um that was drawn from real life um and so I needed that imagery in my story I very much that it felt so kind of like get goosebumps when I think about it because so many things in my daily life seem to echo you know what my character's going through and I can weave that in um but I loved that line because it's you know she's a, she feels so sad in the scene and she feels that she's out of place and um these these characters you know they might be welcoming but maybe she's not welcome there and she doesn't fit in anywhere um but you know there's this wild impassioned song that's inside her you know she wants to sing she wants to sing her own song um and that's something that then comes full circle at the end of the story when um she is singing and she's standing on a stage and she's singing her own beautiful wild song so that's why that line was there because it just seemed to, you know, encapsulate so many things, but also it's just a line that I really love. <laughs> oh, I know that I, I, I love writing down lines and cause certain words next to one another that they, they just make, make me feel so happy and it's just magic sometimes. And if you find, if you find that in a, in a, in a poem or um, even in, in prose, it's, it's, it's magical. Actually, if you read that and you think, Wow, the person who wrote this really had their shit together. <laughs> it was amazing. They, they <laughs> um, so I can actually, without a doubt, say that you're, you are also fearless and your song came out through this book. And I would really love to, to yeah, thank you for sharing your magic and your art with the world. And um, I just absolutely love the cover. Um, it was the UK cover. It's... It's totally, I think it's probably the reason why I also picked up the book because I saw it. Guys, we, we do get several books to, to publicize, but this one I, I picked up and I was like, wow, I want to be one of those girls. So if you do, listeners, if you do find the book um, in, at any uh, good bookstore, um, please have a look at the cover. It's really I, the first thing that will actually draw you to the book. And then as soon as you start reading, you won't be able to put it down. Um, 
But Avril, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And thank you so much for, for giving us a bit of the story behind the story. And I can't wait to, to read. Um, I will read your first book and I can't wait to read your third book. When is that hitting the shelves or is it like very early still? Um, well, I have a deadline for early next year. So um, I'm not quite sure about publication date, but no. um, well, I don't know. I, I can't say yet, but hopefully end of next year perhaps or somewhere like that. But yeah, oh. I, I really appreciate having me on. I really love this chat. It's been heaps of fun. <laughs> My dog was quite excited there before Bucky, so. <laughs> oh no it was super lovely to chat to you and I hope that you get the time to to write um, and that the procrastination will be on the back burner just revel in the greatness of the life you have and your lovely children and I hope that the week ahead will have more triumphs than hindrances thank you so much for your time thank you for getting up so early for me as well I really appreciate it thanks for joining us for this week's episode of PageCast we have an incredible lineup of author interviews. So head over to our Facebook and Instagram and follow Jonathan Ball Publishers to stay updated and in the know regarding future episodes. Thanks for your interest in the story behind the story. Happy reading from everyone at PageCast.